Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, the chances are you will recognise Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And even if being in a choir is not your thing, the one time that you might sing with a group of people is when it's that time of year. Hello, I'm David Hill, the musical director of the Bach Choir, and in the last of our current series of Change Your Tune, we are lifting the lid on Christmas carols. Where do they come from? Why do we sing them? And what are some of the traditions behind this choral music that we come back to year after year? And to do that, I have some expert help. I went through a period of being a bit fed up that people associated me so much with Christmas, but then in the end I thought, well, it's a lot better than being associated with famine and plague and pestilence. John Rutter. Even if you don't know his name, I bet you'd recognise his music. He's a man who knows his carols, and he's written a fair few. He's going to give us some inside information, plus... And every single year, obviously, there was that almost uh, Britain's Got Talent localised version of who is going to sing the opening verse of Once in Royal David City. That's comedian, presenter, football pundit and singer Lloyd Griffith. And we'll hear more about his Christmas singing life later on. So that's the Bark Choir warming up to sing you some of the carols we're going to talk about. While they do that, I can tell you a bit more about our very special reporter for this episode. John Rutter is a prolific composer and conductor. He's known mainly for his choral music and his shorter pieces, such as The Lord Bless You and Keep You for the Beauty of the Earth, Look at the World, and his melody for All Things Bright and Beautiful are regularly heard in ceremonies and celebrations around the world. He has composed and arranged many Christmas carols, perhaps his most famous being the Shepherd's Pipe Carol, but we'll come back to his work later. For many of us, Away in a Manger is probably the first Christmas carol we ever sang. It's a good illustration, actually, of how Christmas carols have crossed the pond in both directions, because the words and the music are both 19th century American. It is an absolutely lovely carol because it is so completely and utterly simple. Most people will have sung carols in church or wherever in their community. Um, whether they're Christian or don't have any faith, they will have sung carols. Why do we sing them and where do they come from, John? Music is a very natural form of celebration. And there was a midwinter festival in the Northern Hemisphere long before Christianity came along. Then, of course, Christianity, in a way, hijacked this midwinter festival and elided it with the story of Christ's birth. That celebration has become mixed together in a rather unique and lovely way. And so we will sing a carol like the holly and the ivy, which has got the rising of the sun and the running of the deer. And those are pagan images, of course. And then we've got the playing of the merry organ suites singing in the choir, which is Christian. It can be religious or it can be secular. And carols have been I think such a successful form of folk art, because that's really what they are, because they embrace every kind of celebration at a time of year when we are ready to enjoy it. As John said, our Christmas music has a long history and is full of different influences. A lot of the cows we know are relatively recent, but some of them go back centuries, like this one from 1582, Gaudete Christus est natus, Rejoice, Christ is born. 
We're very fortunate that in the late 16th century, in 1582, a Finnish musician put together what was really a hymn book of short pieces that could be sung by his school kids. It was called Pie Cantiones, and we have got many a fine melody from there, including Good King Wenceslas, for example. Gaudete is in that collection. It's got a wonderful rhythmic vitality. It was rediscovered by the folk rock group Steely Span in the 1970s. It's got a sort of raw, kids-in-the-schoolroom-on-a-frosty-morning vitality to it, which I find irresistible. It depends a bit on what you like doing over the festive period, but you might be aware of a very English Christmas traditional event, and that's the service of nine lessons and carols from King's College, Cambridge. The idea of a festival of nine lessons and carols went back to Truro Cathedral in the 1880s. The dean of the cathedral, Bishop Benson, and his young chaplain, Eric Milner-White, was in due course of time translated to King's College at the end of the First World War. He thought that there needed to be a new kind of celebration of Christmas. And so he borrowed Benson's Nine Lessons and Carols format. And it was first broadcast by the BBC in 1928. And that was immensely important because it was one of the first outside broadcasts from the then fledgling British Broadcasting Corporation. So there was, I think, quite a carol revival on the back of King's College holding that annual event and shone out like a beacon to all who loved choral music at Christmas time. Every nine lessons and carols service starts with Once in Royal David City and the first verse is always a solo. The chorister who is chosen to sing it is only chosen on the spur of the moment. The reason for the tradition was so that whoever it was wouldn't have the opportunity to get nervous at leisure. Now, why is that verse sung as a solo? I don't think anybody knows, but it's a masterstroke of drama because it symbolises the way that the Christmas story just starts in one rather inconspicuous place in that stable long ago in a small town in the Middle East. And that, I think, is something that is summed up in music in such a wonderful way, um, because the second verse is then picked up by the choir as they process in. And then in the third verse, the organ enters. And in the fourth verse, everybody sings. And so it symbolises the way that Christmas opens out and embraces us all. Every single year, obviously, there was that almost Britain's Got Talent localised version of who is going to sing the opening verse of Once in Royal David City. You might have heard Lloyd Griffith in our episode all about the Hallelujah Chorus. 
Before he became a successful comedian, actor, presenter, and football pundit, he trained as a classical singer. What does he remember most about Christmas in his full-on choir days? When I was a kid, that we had a, some really, really good singers, so it was very much Lord of the Flies territory. <laughs> um, I'd say from uh, Stir Up Sunday until uh, the main Advent Carol service. So. Luckily, I think I did it like three years on the bounce. Mm. We got told in advance, so I was then able to, you know, tell family members, "Oh, you might want to come to the Advent Carol service on Sunday because the big boy, uh, me, is doing uh, once in Royal David City." And also, like my family as well, weren't really churchgoers. So if I'm taking them to church, there has to be a guarantee <laughs> that I'm singing a solo. Growing up, we were singing five or six times a week in church. And I'm not saying it gets repetitive. You know, the, the choir masters are very good at, you know, changing the repertoire. But then Christmas just offers this almost like month break. So you incorporate singing into your stage show, of course. Do you include some of this in a way to try and persuade people that singing is a good thing and possibly extending their knowledge of it and so on? hundred percent. And, you know, people do always ask about it. How do you get into it? You know, how does one go about it? And I always tell them, you know, anyone can sing. Anyone can go and watch singing. I have this story in my routine a few years back where I'd go to football on a Saturday and I'd go with my mates and I'd have to mime. And they're like, why are you miming? I'm like, oh, because I've got a choir in the morning and I don't want to muck that up, okay? <laughs> and it's only two apart. And they're like, what are you on about, mate? I was like, I've got a choir in the morning and I don't want to ruin my voice. And they're like, well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? That's a bit yeah, weird. Yeah. Singing. We're like a load of blokes. It's like, mate, we are sat in a stadium with 4,000 <laughs> other men and we're singing in a bigger choir, which is arguably weirder than my six-part choir tomorrow morning in a church. Sure, we're wearing dresses. I was like, but that's by the by. I think a lot of people don't realise that they, they do sing and how much it benefits them. person behind the service of nine lessons and carols becoming such a big part of Christmas was Sir David Wilcox, a former musical director of the Bach Choir, in fact, my predecessor. He was a hugely accomplished organist, composer and choirmaster and was director of music at King's College for 17 years, then going on to be director of the Royal College of Music in London. It's his arrangements of many carols that are still sung today. And any of you who do sing with a choir might have used Carols for Choirs. The first edition came out in 1961, edited by David and another former director of the Bach Choir, Reginald Jakes. The second edition was edited by David and John Rutter. And the sixth edition, which has just come out, is edited by me and the composer and arranger Bob Chilcott. Each version brings new carols into the world. One thing David was particularly famous for were his descants. You might have been to a carol service and heard the higher voices in the choir take off on a different tune, usually in the last verse. So what is a descant? A descant is quite simply a second melody that you put on top of the melody that's there already. Like every good descant, it lights up the sky. As the choirs of angels sing in that verse, so it seems like there's a blaze of light. It is quite an achievement for that descant to become as famous as the tune itself. He did the same for Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In a way, he created the sound of Christmas 
in the 1960s for those who were ready to have it refreshed. I think every generation, the music of Christmas needs refreshing. New talents need to come along. John is, of course, right. Tradition is one thing, but new talents and new music are vital to keep those traditions alive. And he has done more than almost anyone in the recent past to add to the Christmas music we love. He's written many carols, but there is one that has become one of the most successful, more recent pieces of Christmas music ever written. The Shepherd's Pipe Carol. All I really remember is that it began with the words on the way to Bethlehem, with that slightly syncopated rhythm. And then I thought, well, there must be a little bit of melody that fits that. I do remember when I wrote it. It was in my last year at school. Pablo Picasso... Uh, did a picture of a little shepherd boy cuddling a baby lamb. And so I thought, well, that's a shepherd boy. I wonder if he was a musical shepherd. And if so, well, he would probably play a pipe because it's portable. Absolutely grew up on John Rutter. So in our chamber choir at school, it should have been called the John Rutter Choir, to be fair. I think that was one of the beauties as well, is that a lot of the stuff, you know, had been around for hundreds of years. And you've got this new composer. And it was like, oh, great. I mean, this was only composed like three or four years ago, which in the grand scheme of things in the choral world is, you know, brilliant. So, yeah. And also as well, all my friends that don't sing in choirs are aware of John Rutter. I mean, my family are aware of John Rutter because of what we were singing growing up. What he's done for the choral world has been incredible and has helped it kind of like tick along because it needs people like John to come and inspire it and also bring in a new audience and that's definitely what he's been doing. Probably the Shepherd's Pipe Carol caught on because it wasn't quite like any choir carol that anyone had composed before. I went through a period of being a bit fed up that people associated me so much with Christmas, but then in the end I thought, well, it's a lot better than being associated with famine and plague and pestilence. <laughs> I never thought the shepherd would still be piping almost 60 years on. And one of the ways that the Bach Choir is helping to refresh Christmas music is that each year we hold the David Wilcox Carol Competition to inspire composers to create new and original carols for the festive season. The service of nine lessons and carols from Kings ends with Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and so will we. The melody that we all know was actually written by the composer Felix Mendelssohn 
and was adapted to fit words by Charles Wesley. Mendelssohn said quite firmly this could never be fitted to a sacred text, but it was. I think that it signals that Christmas has come and seems somehow inevitable and unchanging from year to year. We're about to venture forth in our coats and scarves um, to look forward to family festivities and somehow Hark the Herald gives us the permission to go out and do that. A very big thank you to John Rutter and Lloyd Griffith for helping us explore Christmas and its festive music. And Lloyd Griffith is touring the UK with his show Baroque and Roll from March 2024. That's it for this edition and indeed this series of Change Your Tune from the Bar Choir. I hope you've enjoyed it. To hear more of the stories behind some of the world's most famous choral pieces and the full interviews with some of our stellar guests... Search for Change Your Tune wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked it, please give us a rating and a review. It really does help people find us. And pass on the link to everyone you know. Plus, if you'd like more behind-the-scenes updates on everything that's happening at the Barquois, including more exclusive interviews and concert news, subscribe to our newsletter through the link in the show notes. We'll leave you with a little bit more of John's Shepherd's Pipe Carol to see you on your way. Yeah.